Deuteronomy chapter number 17. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and just jump right into the message. And uh, as I speak to you on uh, this subject tonight, God hasn't written you off. God hasn't written you off. How do you know that, Pastor? I guarantee you. In fact, I can prove it. I can prove it uh, scientifically. I'll do do it right now. Uh, Take your two fingers right here. Put them up in there. Put them up in there like that. All right. Now follow me. Do this right here. Do you feel something? The wise men said to all the living, there is hope. Amen. So God isn't finished with us. Heavenly Father, bless, please, in this service tonight, impress on our hearts the sweet truths I'm excited to deliver, but I need your power to do it. May it be a great encouragement to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart not uh, turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write uh, him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests of the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is the last of the five books that Moses gave us. And God, interestingly enough, in this passage in Deuteronomy 17, is giving Moses instructions for the kings of Israel. Now Moses was the God-ordained leader. Israel uh, was ruled as a theocracy. God spoke to Moses. Moses was God's anointed, and Moses shared with the people what God wanted, and that's how things were executed. That's how judgment was executed. That's how the nation was led, and that was God's intent. It was never God's intent for the nation of Israel to have a king. Never. That's not what he wanted. They did so in rebellion to his will. So why 350 years before Saul would ever be anointed as first king of Israel, would God tell Moses, sit down, I want to give you some instructions. You don't need them now, but the nation's going to need them later. Write this down. There's going to be a king. I'm not for it. I don't want it, but it's going to happen. And since it's going to happen... Tell him this. Make sure you pick someone of the nation. Make sure you pick someone uh, uh, that uh, makes you tell him, don't go to Egypt. Don't multiply horses or he'll want to go to Egypt. Tell him he doesn't need more than one wife. Tell him to write himself. Now, you look at the language later. Write himself a copy of the law. Now, that took a lot of time to do. 
And then he said, carry it with you every day for the rest of your life and read in it every day for the rest of your life. Now, you know, when I first dawned on me about where these instructions were, were placed in the scripture, I thought, why in the world? Why in the world would God give Moses instructions for a king that he never intended to be king in the first place? I'll tell you why. Because God has a plan B for his people's life. God has a plan B for his people's life. Even be, this, I love this about our God. Even before our failures, he's preparing for our successes. Even before we rebel against him, even before we go back on uh, Romans uh, 12 talks about the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You might have a painter come to your house. He says, how's that look? Well, it's, it's good. Uh, how's that? It's acceptable. How's that? Perfect. Okay, there's a difference. Okay? And God said there's a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so God said, Moses, it's not what I want. It's not what I intended in the first place. But I'm looking down through time. It's going to happen. Let's prepare the people now. Let's give them some instructions in advance so that they can make the best of that situation. Hey, tonight you might be a dad. Can I say you can never go back and be the dad that you should have been? But you tonight can decide to be the dad right now that you ought to be. Amen? Why? Because God has a plan for our lives. I'm so glad God hasn't written me off. Amen? If you need to once in a while, you just double check and make sure. And, uh, but I can tell you tonight, there is hope. God has, God's not finished with us. Amen? Do you ever think about this? This to me is even more astounding. Turn over a couple of pages to Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21. <clears throat> God writes in verse number 15, if a man have two wives, if, if a man have two wives, man, nobody told me we could do that. Of course not. Genesis 2, 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, they have been born him children, both the beloved and the hated. And if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength, the right of his firstborn is his. Uh, uh, without going into details, God is basically saying this. He said, make sure you're just. He said, fella, if you find yourself in a situation God never intended him to be in. He said, you got, you got two wives. You've made a mess of things, and, and you're in a situation. He said, look, let me tell you what to do. Uh, don't treat one set of kids better than the other. Don't, don't uh, mistreat this one and treat this one better because that happens to be your favorite. What do we learn from this? Uh, I, I don't know for sure, but my opinion is that Proverbs 31, <clears throat> King Lemuel, is a reference to Solomon himself. If that be true... And, and many people agree with me. I wouldn't stake my salvation on it. I'd stake Brother Eddie's salvation on it, but not my salvation. But anyway, I, I think I'm of that opinion. And if that be true, then that means Proverbs 31, the chapter on the virtuous woman was written by Bathsheba. Advice given by Bathsheba. Now, I scratch my head, and I think, now, God, why would you use Bathsheba to give us Proverbs 31. Maybe it's for this reason, that if you got off on the wrong foot, God still wants to help you make the best of your situation. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? 
I don't know how many of us have looked back and said, oh man, if I'd have just done that a little different. If I'd have made that choice a little differently, oh, how things could have worked out a little bit better. But I, I'm telling you, my dear friend, even when you find yourself in a situation that you ought not be in, there's still a God in heaven who says, okay, you got yourself in a mess, but let me help you make the best of your mess. What a God we have. Amen. I wondered this sometime. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. Why would God give Solomon to David and Bathsheba? If I was God and I was going to award the wisest man that ever lived to somebody, I, I, I might have awarded him to someone faithful. Joseph seems like a great candidate to me, a faithful man. Why would God do so? I thought about this. I thought about the failures of Abraham. I thought about the failures of David. I thought about the failures of Noah. Again, I think about the failures of Bathsheba. And I think, God, why did you let Bathsheba write Proverbs 31, if indeed she did? Why did you call Abraham the friend of God. Why did you call uh, Noah a preacher of righteousness after he got drunk and something awful happened as a result? And why did you call David a man after your own heart when he when he when he betrayed uh, 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 when he betrayed his marriage vows when when he counted the people and uh, uh, demonstrated a lack of faith? Why why would you do so, God? I tell you why. Because God doesn't take one dark chapter of our lives and thus define our entire lives. Well, I'm, you know, we, 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 uh, we naturally judge ourselves by our best days, don't we? And we have a tendency to, to, to uh, judge others by their worst days too often. But our God doesn't take one dark chapter of our life, one season of our life, if you would, one mistake that we've made, one sin that was committed, one bad decision, and thus define our entire lives. I'm so, listen, I'm so glad, I'm glad God's a God of averages. Amen. I'm glad God doesn't take the lowest grade that we made all year long and say, okay, there's your final grade. I'm glad he puts it in the wash with everything else and says, yes, there is some good thing. Even in old Jeroboam, the Bible said, there is found in him some good thing. I'm just simply saying, if you still have a pulse tonight, maybe you're in a situation you didn't plan to be in, or maybe you had a season in your life away from God. I'm simply saying God's not done with us. Amen. God's not written us off. He still has a purpose. He still has a plan for our lives. Look at Mark 16, if you would, please. Mark 16. Jesus has risen from the dead. <clears throat> and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, and bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Verse 2, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher of the rising of the sun, at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man. We know from the other passages, of course, that was an angel. A young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. 
But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Now, here's a question for you. Why did God name Peter specifically? Why did God tell an angel <clears throat> to, to those ladies? Now, ladies, I want you to go and I want you to tell the disciples. And be sure to tell Peter and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive and I'm headed into Galilee and I want to meet them there. Now, why didn't he say and Matthew? Uh, why didn't he say uh, and, uh, uh, and Bartholomew? Uh, why didn't he say and John? Uh, 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 why, why did he say, and Peter? The truth is, all the disciples had forsaken him and fled, the Bible tells us. But I think the pain of Peter and his betrayal of Christ and his forsaking Christ is, uh, it was probably more pronounced even than any of the other disciples. Because it was Peter who was the most outspoken. It was Peter when Jesus uh, again in plain terms said, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered up. They're going to crucify me. And Peter said, don't talk that way, Lord. Don't talk that way. And, uh, and Jesus, and uh, had not too, uh, too many hours before, uh, not uh, just a few days before, had, uh, had said, Peter, uh, uh, you are going to deny me. Uh, you're going to uh, deny me before the cock crows in the morning. Uh, you will have denied me three times. And Peter said, I will die before I deny you. I'll never, never deny you, Lord Jesus. And what happened by the next morning? He had denied him three times. And the language, the language of Luke 22, 61 is so descriptive because the Bible says G Peter maybe visited the site, what they believed to be the house of Josephus, where this would have uh, taken place. And, uh, and, um, and if it's true, there is a porch, just as the Bible describes, outside. And you can imagine yourself looking in as Jesus is there uh, 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 being uh, harangued and, and, and some mock trial. And, uh, and Peter outside. And, uh, and the Bible said it this way in, in Luke's account. And the Lord uh, turned and looked upon Peter. Imagine in my mind's eyes, Peter's out there and he's warming himself by the devil's fire and the cock crows and all of a sudden it dawns on him. Jesus said this would happen. I, I didn't think I'd be here. I'd never thought I would deny him like this. And I imagine the crowd parts maybe just for just a brief moment, someone stepped that way and a head turned that way and a head turned that way. And Jesus Christ, who was here, turned and looked at Peter in the eye. And Peter saw him. And the Bible said that he went out and he wept bitterly. What have I done? I did the very thing that I said I'd never do. The very thing I said I'll die before I do that. I've done it. I've betrayed my Lord. How could I have done so? God knew how low Peter was. And so he said, angel, I'm sending you on a mission. When you get down there, the lady's going to get there first. You tell them Jesus is alive. You tell them to go back and tell the disciples and make sure you use Peter's name by, uh, use him, uh, his name because he's going to feel like I don't want to see him, but I do want to see him. And so you be sure to include his name. Hey, why would God do this? I'll tell you why. Because God doesn't want the defeated to stay defeated. That's why. 
God doesn't want the down to stay down. God doesn't want the discouraged to stay discouraged. He didn't want old Peter who is out weeping, rightful for Peter. Peter should have wept. He should have cried. He should have been repentant. But after such, he should have stood up and said, by the grace of God, I'm going on. And God knew he needed a little extra encouragement to do that. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 19. 1 Samuel 19. I love this little story. <clears throat> Saul had long before been bitten by the green-eyed monster of envy. He wanted to kill him in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1. And Saul spoke, spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Verse 10, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. We get down to verse number 18. An amazing story unfolds. David escapes from, uh, from his home. They surround his home, and Michael helps him to escape. In verse number 18, so David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, to Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So, so David had fled uh, from the house uh, from, from Saul and, uh, and gone down to, uh, to Samuel, where Samuel was, and some of these sons of the prophets, men in training for ministry, uh, 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 and, uh, and, and he met with them, and they were down there. They were prophesying. They were singing and preaching and testifying, and Saul found out about that. And so he sent, a, uh, he sent some men down there to arrest David. And as these men, uh, uh, Pastor, would I permission to go down? As, uh, as the men uh, come up to the meeting, and uh, I don't know who was preaching, Samuel or one of those other prophets up there preaching, and somebody was prophesying, somebody was testifying, this is what God's done in my life. And those soldiers got down there to arrest David. David's down here on the front row of the meeting, and uh, the soldiers got there, and they heard the singing, and they heard the testimonies, and they were there to arrest David, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost of God got on him, and they got under conviction, and they ran down to the altar, and they said, Samuel, we came to arrest David, but we want to get right with God instead. Amen. And they got right with God. Amen. And old Saul's back up there at the, at the palace, and he's pacing back and forth. Where are those men? They ought to be coming back with David by now. Where are they? And so what does he do? Verse number 21. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time. And they prophesied. After that first batch of guys came down to the meeting, then, then, uh, then uh, 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 the second batch of men come down to the meeting, and they come in, and I think it was under a big tent, if I'm not mistaken. And um, that's somewhere in the Hebrew, I believe. But they come in the back of the tent, and one of those men's up there preaching. Maybe it was Samuel. Maybe it was on the men. Somebody's testifying. Someone prophesied over here. They come to rest David, and they get under conviction. They come down the front. They say, oh, Samuel, we're so sorry. We want to get right with God instead. They probably came over and said, David, God bless you. Amen. I'm sorry for the way I've talked about you. Here comes, and, and, and oh, King Saul's over here at the palace, pacing back and forth. Where are they? They ought to have David here by now. Where are they? We know where he is. We're going to let him slip away. So he sends a, a third dispatch. Same thing happens again. Those guys get, the Holy Ghost comes on them. And so Saul huffs and puffs. He says, man, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. 
So he loads up on his horse with his entourage, and he rides down to Nathan Ramah, and he shows up to the meeting. And, uh, and before he even gets there, look at it, verse number uh, 22. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great well that is in Secu, and he asked uh, and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Nathan Ramah. And he went thither to Nathan Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Nathan Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. There's nothing untoward about that. He just mean took off his crown, took off his royal sword, took off his royal garb, and just laid on the ground like a commoner. Wherefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets. It happened again. Old King Saul came down. He said, man, you got the job to do. You got to do it yourself. And he's down there. He's mad as a hornet. But the power of God so strong with that meaning, he gets to the tent. He hears the singing. He hears the testimonies. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's working on him on the way to the meeting. He gets down to the meeting. God, the Spirit comes on him. And oh, it's Saul comes down. He said, I want to get right with God. David, I was going to kill you, but I changed my mind. I just love you now. And I want to get right with God. Hey, listen. Yeah, now some people, you read some commentators, and, uh, and they'll say, have a lot of different opinions about that. But you know what? The, the, the Bible said the Holy Ghost of God was on this man. I mean the Holy Ghost. Listen, Pastor, you have, I have, we, we, we men, uh, all we have, we've seen people that get real, real low, but God works in their heart and sees some genuine fruit and some wonderful things, and then it's like the devil comes and snatches that away, and they're torn back and forth. Saul was God's choice in the first place, but God was, God was wanting to, to use Saul, uh, and Saul was wrestling back and forth with the sins of his life, but I, I think God... Got a hold of Saul in this passage. Why would God the Spirit come upon Saul while he's on his way to kill David? Maybe because God isn't finished with us just because we feel like he's finished with us. Maybe tonight you think God's done with me. Check. Let's check. Let's make sure. Are you ready? Here we go. Yes, sir. Let's go to the doctor. Make sure. Oh, thank God he's not done with me. Amen. I still have a pulse. Amen. Yes. Deuteronomy 31. Let me show you one more. Deuteronomy 31. What a patient God we have. What a merciful God we have. Deuteronomy 31. Verse number 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, excuse me, uh, verse number, uh, yeah, verse number 14, please. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle. Moses was one of those men that God said, Moses, you're going to get ready to die. The Bible said in verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land. Isn't that sad? Here God comes to Moses. Moses, you're going to die. He said, I hate to tell you this, but after you die, the people you love, the people you've interceded for, for these last 40 years, they're going to forsake everything you taught them. They're going to walk away. They're going to serve other gods. Pretty sobering thing to have to hear right before you die. 
And so God said, Moses, I want you to do something about this. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, write ye this psalm for you and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. You know this is true. Perhaps you know folks that have lost uh, their memory. And yet they can go sit down at a piano and rattle off songs and the lyrics verse after verse after verse. You know, music speaks very deeply to the mind and to the soul, does it not? Yeah. God said this, this is an occasion for a song. What follows in, in, in chapter 32 is the song from verse 1 of chapter Deuteronomy 32 down through verse 43 is the song that Moses wrote in response to God's command. He said, Moses, you're going to die. The people are going to betray me after you die. I want you to write a song. But let me give you some highlights of the song. Look at Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. You know what God is saying? I want them singing a song that makes them remember, hey, God's still there. He's the rock. He's the stable one. Amen? My life may have spun out of control, but the rock hasn't budged. Amen? Hey, look at verse 6. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee, Redeemer? Hath he not made thee, Creator? He said, I want them in years to come after they've left the will of God. I want this song stuck in their head. He's my father. He's my redeemer. He's my creator. He's my rock. Look down at verse number, uh, at verse number nine. For the Lord's portion is his people. In other words, what does God get out of all this? What does God want out of all? What's his portion? You. That's what he wants. That's, he's, he's doing it for you. Amen. Yes. He's, gonna, he's saying, in essence, all I ever wanted was you. Like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, I seek not yours but you. At the end of verse 10, look at this little line of the song, the last phrase of 10. He calls them the apple of his eye. In other words, every time I look at you, something happens in my heart. Look at verse 11. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, uh, speaking about knocking them out of the, uh, of the nest, spreadeth abroad her wings, uh, dives down underneath of them, taketh them, and beareth them uh, on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him. In this song, he's saying, listen, you remember those scary times? You remember those times you were falling? That, that was me. That was me that came and swooped down under. That was me that carried you on my wings. I came to help you. We won't keep going, but there's beautiful language throughout this song. Why would God, listen to it, think about it. Why would God write a love song about his relationship to his people when he knew they were going to turn his back on him? Maybe because God wants to have a relationship with us even when we don't want anything to do with him. Amen. Billy Sunday, professional baseball player, went out one night with the boys and got drunk. And... Um, they came and plopped down. It was a vacant lot at the time at State and Madison. When they plopped down in their drunken stupor across the street was a little gospel band, a, a flute and a trumpet and a sliding trombone, and a preacher from the gospel, from the Pacific Garden Mission, preaching the gospel. That young man walked across the street to those baseball players. 
and said, hey, fellas, we're going over to the Pacific Garden Mission. There's some old drunks down there that got saved. There's some ladies that used to walk the street, and God turned their life around. You could hear their testimonies. And that young man, Billy Sunday, stood up and looked at his buddies and said, I heard those songs as a boy. I remember the words as they played and sang. That's the faith of my mother. Boys, we've come to a parting of the way. He walked down to Pacific Garden Mission and got born again that night. Somebody say amen. I'll tell you something now. A song will do something to you, won't it? Yes, it will. And God, in his mercy, said, Moses, I hate to tell you this, that you're getting ready to die. And the people you love that have led, they're going to turn their back on me. So I want you to do something. I want you to sit down and write a song for me. I want you to teach it to the children. I want it stuck in their head where they can never get out of their mind. And when they're out of the will of God, I want them singing. He is a rock. His work is perfect. All Get that. He is. And yeah, I want them to remember there's a God in heaven who's still there hasn't gone anywhere. I made them. I redeemed them. I'm their father. I love them. All I ever wanted was you. That's the God that loves us. Amen. I pulled up the car wash a number of years ago. Pulled out a gospel track and said, I want to give you this track. Dan cursed me. I don't want you blankety blank paper. I said, oh, come on, man. And uh, we were fighting liquor at the time, trying to keep liquor out of our city. He said, you bunch of blankety-blank Christians can't even make a living for y'all. I said, what do you mean? He said, y'all want liquor in here, trying to keep, keep liquor out of here. You ain't got no sense. He said, he was trying to open a bar. And uh, I said, he said, what's the deal? I said, well, I don't want my kids run over by a drunk driver. I said, do you want your kids run over by a drunk driver? He said, I wanted my kids aborted. I said, I know you don't mean that. I said, just take the paper. I said, it's got some good knees on it. It'll help you. You'll enjoy it. We went back and forth a little bit more. Finally, he said, if I take your blankety-blank paper, will you leave me alone? I said, yes, I will. He took the track and looked at me. He said this, I'm taking this paper so you'll leave me alone. But he said, I'm going to make you a promise. I will never darken the door of your church. I said, well, you took the paper, so I'll, that's all right. Two weeks later, Sunday morning, Dan walked in the back door of the church. He left while I was giving the closing prayer. I chased him down in the parking lot. I said, Dan, I, I'm so glad you come. I, I wasn't expecting you, but I, I'm glad you come. He looked at me. He said, ever since I met you, my life's gone downhill. So I'm glad I could help you, sir. I said, what happened? He said, after I talked to you at the car wash, I went home. And there was a note in the kitchen. My wife had taken the kids, and they're gone. He's a disc jockey. He was a disc jockey. And uh, uh, at, the, uh, at the bar, right on the county line, that time we didn't have liquor, right on the county line, he was a disc jockey. Tried to keep his wife. He sold all, that's his livelihood. He sold all of his equipment to try to keep his wife. Bought her a car because she just, I don't have a car and this and that. Bought her a car. She said, thanks for the car. I'm still not coming home. He said, I just thought maybe there might be something here for me. I knocked on a man's door, and he cursed me off his porch two months later. He said, are you the preacher that knocked on my door? I said, yes, sir. He said, could you come back and tell me what you're trying to tell me? I just found out this week I've got AIDS. 
knocked on a couple's young couple's door years ago. And uh, she got so mad at me, she stormed out. Went to, her husband stayed on the couch as a witness to him. She got so mad, she stormed out, went to the back of the house. And uh, tried a time or two, couldn't get, get him to come to church. And, but I was in a different part of the county, knocking on doors, I don't know, six months later or something. Unbeknownst to me, they had moved. I knocked on the door. Would you like to know who came to the door? Hi, how are you? I'd like to invite you to Bailey Grove Church again. Amen. I don't want to go she uh, got her a job some months later, and one of her coworkers said, man, I'm starting going to church. It's the greatest thing. We've got great pastor and great music, and we just love it and love it. And love it. Uh, you ought to come to church with me. Oh, I'll come sometime. I'll come sometime. The lady kept after him. One day, she brought one of these tracks home and, and, and gave it to her work. She said, this is the church. I want you to come. She said, oh, my goodness. You've got to be kidding. She took that and did something with it, and one day she had a need. She said, well, I guess I'll go. And they came. Her husband got saved at our church. All of her children got saved at our church. Took her a little while. She got saved over the telephone one day. Amen? Can I tell you something? God's looking for you even if you're not looking for him. Amen? What a merciful God we have. Let's finish with a health check. Are you ready? Two fingers in the air. Everybody with me? Everybody participate, class. Here we go. Young and old alike. Here we go. Two fingers in the air. Put it right there. Do you feel something? Yes or no? You feel something? Amen. God's not finished with us. 